All right, so this, um, I'm going to talk about us starting with Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to just read the Psalm uh, 41, 1 through 3. And as I read this, specifically for Dale, for Marilyn, for Joe, Eric's wife, for Tom Sice, for Gil, for Chad, for Glenn, for John Eagle, really? for Taffy. Yes. All right. And so here's what Psalm 41 says. It says, Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. And all of God's people and men said, Amen. 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 All right, so here's a little piece of um, housework or whatever we call it. I forget what the, what's the term. I don't know. Housekeeping. Uh, what is it called? Housekeeping. Housekeeping. Thank you. Um, Valentine's Day is two weeks from now. Hmm. On Tuesday night. Oh. I know many of us are married. Some of us have girlfriend, boyfriend, significant others. I mean, whoever it is, my question is, Whoever, you know, even just friends or whatever, what do you guys think about? I'm thinking about just taking Tuesday off um, and spend it with our wives or whoever um, during that time. Any thoughts? I hear a, I see it. <laughs> okay. I think it's a church showing respect for family. Yeah. Especially yeah, for us guys. Yeah. Mm. So we practice what we preach. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So we're going to plan that. Okay. So two weeks from now, we'll take off. All right. Okay. So we're on a great passage today. Um, and anybody, so where are we today, everyone? Eight. Seven. <laughs> seven, eight. Yeah, we're at the end of, actually, the, the irony is we're actually at 753, if you want to go that way. Oh, we're on eight. Um, so fifty-three. Yeah. So this is uh, this is a story, very, very, very famous. One of probably one of Jesus' most well-known stories, I think, of scripture, of the woman caught in adultery. Um, and John, John, what? So John eight, uh, John eight. Uh, I, I mean, mine actually says fifty-three or whatever. I think it's like you'll see if you look. Well, you don't have this here, but does anybody need one of these? Okay. Yeah. So, um, do you want to borrow one right now, David? Do you want to just give it that? Okay. So, yeah. So John eight one. It should say, depending on your Bible, it should say a section called the woman caught in adultery. Do you actually show that on yours? Because sometimes they'll put it into a um, footnote because of the um, discussion around that. Do you see that on yours, David? That you're looking at. My source for Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Okay, good. All right. Um, so the first thing is, is you'll notice in, if depending on your Bibles or even in here, this is a section that is uh, one of the few places in Scripture, one of the few places across the board that people go, well, you know. We, so what happens is this story you will find in 
not the earliest manuscripts. So we have like, you know, thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament that goes all the way back. You don't have any other book in the world like this. It has all these different manuscripts that go back very close to the time of, you know, Jesus in the first century. And so what's interesting is with this passage is in many of the original, not original, in many of the older manuscripts in Greek that we have, this story is missing. Hmm. But then you start having other manuscripts where you see it. So it's one of those few places in the scripture where you see that happening. And there's just, no one has an answer. I don't have an answer if I did. <laughs> Great, but no one has an answer as to why is that the case. Pretty much historically, everyone across the board um, says this is a real story of Jesus that really happened. The debate is, is this where it goes? Some people think... It might be that you've almost had, and you might think, well, how can the Holy Spirit would do this? Well, the Holy Spirit can, inspired. Um, where you might have almost like John was written, and then there's like almost a second version of John, where all this, all this add this story, which we, you know, John could have said, hey, people say, I, I kept the story out. We don't know, okay? But what we do know is it fits right in with Jesus. It fits it right in historically and everything is this is something that did really happen um and we're going to take it as this is where it goes within john um and we'll talk about that a little bit did you say earlier that john is him writing what he witnessed yes right so did he witness this well he either witnessed so this would be something he either witnessed personally or he got from someone who witnessed it okay and again, we don't necessarily know the full details of that. Um, but, yeah. So, um, could be something very, very much that he witnessed because this would have been around. I mean, all the disciples are there. Other people are around. Remember, we're in the middle of a festival. I may next week talk a little bit more. I didn't really give you much about this festival that's going on. But there's this big um, Feast of Tabernacles, which is really significant to what's happening in some of these stories as to why Jesus chooses to go down to Jerusalem at this time with it. Um, so what I would like to do, though, is one of the things that we do when we're taking a look at our passages, and we've done quite a bit, is we look at the passage we're currently looking at and we compare it to what? The prologue. The prologue. Very good. Okay. And so we talked about how the prologue in most places in John, or many places in John, you see the prologue being echoed as it goes through. It's like this sort of echo that happens. And John wrote the prologue, and then all these things he's saying, you just see the prologue sort of come to life out of that. All right. So what I want to do is I'm going to have us listen, since we've been sort of listening, I, I want us... We're going to listen to this being read, this story. We're going to go opposite this time. So we're going to listen to this story of the woman caught in adultery being read. And then we're going to listen to someone else. <laughs> I have different voices here. We're going to listen to someone else read the prologue. Okay? And we're just going to listen to that. I want you to think, or sort of just as we're doing this, the reason why I'm having you listen to the story first is that then as you hear the prologue, I want you to see if there's anything you pick up in the prologue that you would go, hmm, I see how the story can fit. I can see how this there's something in the prologue that 
makes sense of this story. Um, does that make sense? Am I making sense? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to try to do this again. I'll unplug this. Um, let's see if I can pull this off. You can follow along in your ESV version too. That might keep it to the ESV version. While you're doing that, yes. Matter of fact, I, I learned something really interesting about that last the last day of the feast in the living water. Uh huh. So, what the apparently what the high priest would do on that day is they would take the water from the temple and they would pour it down the steps that they that Jesus was standing on. So that's like everyone comes and watches them do that. It's like a a renewal process to demonstrate the whole act of the living water. Mm-hmm. That's where he said that. Yeah. And that's why that was significant as that was going on. Hmm. Yeah, good. Ah. Where'd you find that? Uh, I'm almost there, guys. Gonna get it. <laughs> Came to him, and he sat down and taught them. 
The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. Interesting that a woman's reading it. Yeah, that's I I I made that happen. <laughs> okay. Okay. So there is a story. Now we're gonna to listen to John the prologue being read. Okay. And and just so you know, this voice is called Gregory, but it's not me. <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. 
for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. All right. <clears throat> so, any thoughts as you hear those two stories? If you hear the prologue and you hear the woman and the adultery, do you see any, like, links you would make between those two? Grace and truth. Why do you say that, Jason? Because he doesn't condemn her either, yet the, it was the truth that he spoke to the crowd that set her free. Yeah. And us. The law of Moses, the law was given through Moses. Uh-huh. And then, um, now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Good, good. Anyone else or anything add to that or? The law is fulfilled through, uh, it was brought through Moses and so it's like aching to be fulfilled. They all want to fulfill what Moses has taught them. But like what Jason said, grace and truth. And just above that is grace upon grace. So yeah. it's kind of a shock. You're not going to throw hit me with rocks? I mean, mm-hmm. but what about internally? There's all yeah. that kind of emotion, perhaps, or mm-hmm. something being worked out. Yeah. But it's unheard of. Grace and truth, grace upon grace. Uh-huh. Do you see how, so you guys are, that's great. You see how it's being played out, sort of this, for the law was given through Moses, and you see in the story, they're bringing up the law of Moses, right? Mm-hmm. And then what does Jesus do? He doesn't do the, go to the law of Moses. He instead it goes to what he says, which is what? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so you see that just literally just being played right out there in that story. <laughs> they want to go with Moses. Jesus says, no, we're going with grace and truth. Um, yeah. So, anything, so look at the story, and this might be, we, again, a familiar story, but anything you guys see in this story that strikes you one way or the other, or that you have questions about, or you, you look at this and you go, you know, reading it again, thinking about it again, um, as to what's happening here? Yeah, what did Jesus write in the, <laughs> the second time the first? Yeah. Twice. Well, we're going to answer that because we are the we are the men up here who should know the answer to questions. What do you guys think about that? So let's take what Pete just said. What do you guys think? Oh, come on! We all wonder. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. I've thought about that a lot, actually. Sure. Okay. Was it it, it, it the same thing both times? Is it is it referenced in any other? uh, No book. No. No. This story is singular. Only here. So you don't get any help from that. <laughs> so what do you guys, so what do you see here? Let's think about that. Okay, I'm not going to say, but just think about probably when he, when he writes, I mean, when, when scripture is written, the people who are hearing this for the, you know, they mostly know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. So what do you think is 
What do you, we'll go with that. That's the big one, right? What do you think he wrote? Commandment. You think what? He's writing, um, from what I think I understand is he's writing possibly the commandments in thinking that, let me see if I can say this right, and that, um, that if somebody, um, is not also um, judged. In other words, when he when he brings up you know the other people like who here has not sinned. Mm-hmm. So I think he's trying to write some structure to see which way he's going to go. He's trying to write some structure of whether he thinks he should believe this woman should be stoned, and possibly he's writing down what what his father told him, which is you know, could be possibly the commandments. Okay. So what kind of clues do we have here that, you know, we're like sort of detectives? What kind of clues are, is being given us here that could potentially find out what he wrote? He doesn't answer him right away. He what? He does not answer him right away. He takes the time to write. He, that's right. So he, okay. So he writes. All right. I think the writing in the sand is like, um, a miracle or a sign okay. of what's going to happen. Hmm. All right. Hmm. One of the clues is that the older guys went away first. Okay. And then the younger guys. Good that's point. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's I was wondering that meant. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Do you have any idea what that's a clue to? <laughs> <laughs> Who sins the most? Older guys have had more time to rack up more stints. <laughs> I won't go around and ask everyone's age. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about that is that he, like he does at the pool, I don't know how to say the word, best, best. Bethsaida? Bethsaida, yeah. That he, remember when he tells the, um, the guy he healed, mm-hmm. he says the same thing to the girl. He says, Sin no more, but he doesn't. He doesn't do anything for them. But he doesn't. He just says sin no more, uh-huh. and he says it again here. And so I'm thinking that he knows. He knows that people have sinned, and he's just trying to make them. He's trying to let them see it like a reflection of it. So he might be writing down in his hands, like I wouldn't say he's sitting there going, "Thou shalt not steal." I'm not saying it like that, but he's. I think he's trying to put a compass about, like, you know, how should I treat, how should I treat this person? Like, maybe not one of his parables, but this is how it should be. And then he's sitting there and making a judgment over it, how he, how he can use his wisdom to let the older people who sin more to leave. And then, I don't know, I don't know what that yeah, part is, yeah. but that's kind so, of where I'm going. Yeah, so, of, yeah, go ahead. Uh-huh. None of the witnesses have a right to judge her. Only God has a right to judge her. Okay. And who are the witnesses here? Who are the... Who is he talking to? When he writes, who is he writing to, I guess? The Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes. So what do the Pharisees and scribes know 
like so, the back of their hand. So I was going to say, is the there is there some the, prophecy? The law, the law. Okay. Is there is there prophecy referencing writing in the dirt? Like good that? question. Good, good question, but I don't think so. <clears throat> you don't know? No, I, no, I don't think so. No, no. I, I think if if you really create what's happening here is Jesus came back to the temple and began to teach. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees show up and start asking him the scenario. And and uh, when he doesn't answer them right away, they begin, uh, began to badger him. Mm-hmm. And so he takes the time then to write uh, on the ground before he stands up and confronts them with the answer. Okay. So I, I think it's um, the fact that they are attacking him, but through his grace, he's not coming back at him right away. He's he's creating a period of time to kind of like the crowd saying, okay, hey, this is it now. You know, he'll right. never be able to answer this question. And it becomes a moment of truth simply because of the pause mm-hmm. that happens. So... Like my wife and I, Michelle, we love watching 48, 48 hours and Dateline. We love the crime mysteries type stuff. We were just watching one last night. If you think about it with a lot of those, like this was one with a woman um, being found dead in her um, in her bathroom in a in a um, in a bathtub. And so, what as you're looking at a crime, one of the things that they, people would always like to have is a direct witness, right? That they, someone actually saw it. So, right, like yeah. a witness here would say, you know, or John was there. Let's assume John's there. John would like write what Jesus said, <laughs> okay? And then you would, then you would know, all right? <clears throat> but this is more like circumstantial evidence. It's like, do we know? We would have to try to prove in a court of law as to what did he write. But there's clues. So we know, so I just said, it's to the scribes and Pharisees. Okay, so we know the scribes and Pharisees, they know what? They know the Old Testament like the back of their hand. So what are the clues here that lead us to something in the Old Testament? What do you notice happens here? They with the, the law of Moses. Okay, so we got the, okay, good. So we have the law of Moses. Let's think, look at the story, how it unfolds. He's so, something Jesus against strange. the law is what, he's, what they're doing. Okay. It, right. If, you're, if you are guilty of one, you're guilty of all. Okay. How many times does he write? Twice. Twice. Hmm. Clue. He writes twice. Maybe you so, misspelled a word. Next clue. <laughs> this is Jesus. Come on. There, need, there needs to be two witnesses. Okay. Well. Okay. So he. So there's two. And what does he writing. write with? Spear. Okay. It's and John makes it very specific. He's writing with his finger, uh-huh. and he writes twice. Right. Okay. Does that do anything for anybody? There's only two times. In the Old Testament, where either one, the finger of God wrote, which was on the tablet. The what, Pete? The finger of God. <laughs> Did you guys hear that? Okay. It was one, maybe twice. So the finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone. That's one time. And that's the only, that's one time for sure. And then 
there was the hand with the writing on the wall in the book of Daniel. The many, many Tekla you parsing. Mm-hmm. Those are the only... Okay, so once we turn... So, did you, so you, good. So, did you guys know that God has written with his finger before? Who is Jesus? God. God. Did you guys know there's a finger of God? Okay. So, grab your Bibles. Yeah. The finger of God has been referenced quite a bit in the prophecy. Okay, so... so Turn to the of God the there's the a couple places we can turn, but I want you to turn to Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Go to the index. <laughs> One seventy-one. <laughs> Deuteronomy what? So turn to Deuteronomy chapter nine, and let's go start at verse six. Deuteronomy 9 6. This is actually repeated in um, Exodus too. So, alright, everyone there? Deuteronomy 9 6. So it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up to the mountain, that's Moses, to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. God. Hmm. And on them were all the words that the Lord has spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. What is the main thing that was written on those tablets of stone by the finger of God? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Exactly. But how many times did Jesus write? Twice. Twice, yeah. Why twice, according to this story? Maybe two tablets. Because what happened was... We're doing just doing some good Old Testament knowledge here. What you notice that happens next in your Bible is the golden calf. Because what ends up happening is those tablets are brought down. The people are... What? Worshipping <laughs> the golden calf and the tablets are what? Broken. 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 And then Moses has to go back up to the same place and God once again writes the tablets. Oh, no, 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 no. On the second time, uh-huh. Moses has to write it. Or he writes it? Yeah, okay. On the second time, yeah. Moses has okay. to do it. Yeah. So God tells him. He's got a good memory. Huh? But what, and what does he write twice? The, the tablets. Yeah. Twice tablets. you have been written with that. So we don't know what Jesus wrote. I would just say circumstantial evidence is finger of God twice. Who's he talking to? Them. What does he write down that they end up all leaving? If he writes down something like the Ten Commandments, okay, whether it's however he writes that down, 
and he writes that down twice, or he does part of it one time or the other time. Now he's looking at all those and saying to them, which one of you has perfectly fulfilled these Ten Commandments? (laughs) And who can say they have? No one. And my Bible is saying uh, Exodus thirty one eighteen. Yeah, so that's the other one. That's that's the other place that that happens. Could and you I think um, make a reach and say that he's writing down what he's hearing from God the Father. Uh, you you could. I mean, we don't know. So we don't. I mean, purposefully, obviously, we're not told. Um, but I think I think at least for stuff that I, I that sort of makes sense that he's doing something. That's trying to take them back to the original writing of the law by God. And mm-hmm. what does Jesus do? He's always saying, sort of subtly, I am God. So now he's writing right. <laughs> on the sand that. Um, That's mm-hmm. profound. Yeah. You know, so and it doesn't talk about how long it took him to respond either. No. He could have got down there and written out the Ten Commandments. He could have. That's right. It goes, goes back to the preamble. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with yeah, God. Yeah, very good. The Word was God. Yeah. Well, I was so, thinking he was writing the Ten Commandments because he's, like what I said before, but I could Yeah, you, you said... Because I'm that. thinking that maybe he's thinking there's another law being broken. Does that make sense? Like, maybe these, the conscience of these other men. Like well, maybe, there's nothing, it's beyond, it's beyond adultery. It's like maybe if they're thinking, if they're thinking about adultery, maybe they were involved at that one time in their life. So, it was a sin upon a sin. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. it's interesting that the Pharisees and Sadducees as well, they don't stay in Badgerum, they go also. Because they heard the truth. And then, right. And then exactly. They, they heard the truth and, they, you know, okay guys, let's go home. They were all called out on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so there you go. That's. I mean, again, I, we don't know, so I'm not going to say I know. But it's just sort of interesting because most things are somehow take us back. I mean, they obviously knew what he was writing because it all condemned them ultimately. And then the the law that they would have enacted. And stoned that woman. Mm-hmm. Not only did they leave, they just allowed Jesus to truly be the judge. Yeah. And you know what? And set, and set her free. That, I mean, mm-hmm. when did that happen in that culture? Mm-hmm. What occurs to me is the real power of this whole circumstance is that the Pharisees and Sadducees break the law by not stoning her. They don't obey their own law. Well, here's something that's interesting. Do you know what would happen to them if they did? At this time, if they actually stoned her, do you know what would have happened to the Pharisees and scribes? They would have been arrested by Rome. Oh, oh. So, so again. They would have been arrested by the Romans because it was illegal by the Romans in that culture, in the, in Jerusalem, in that whole area, the only people that could bring a death sentence on someone and execute them was a Roman. Mm. Jews were not allowed to actually even, in a sense, practice their own law and kill someone. Mm. 
But you see, see get played out with Jesus a little bit. Well, yeah, so what, what was the situation then when, when that was, they were always a threat to Jesus? Was it, what, I always tried to understand that. Did the Romans like, were they against what the Hebrews were trying to, the Hebrews were trying to do to Jesus? Like they were talking, well, maybe he should, we shouldn't kill him, but you know, he's, but he's out of line and stuff. Where were, how would, were they allies with that, or were they against each other? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Well, we'll, well when we get there, we'll look at it in more detail. But, I mean, okay. one of the things you have is you have Herod, who was a Jew, right? Yeah, I, think he's, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he and here's, he's the one in charge of everything. And so you have, you have the Romans, and what they want is they want, particularly in Jerusalem, they want to keep things quiet. They don't want an uprising. Herod and the people, who whoever's ruling at that time, I don't think Herod was really at that time. He's dead. But um, they don't want an uprising. Okay. In fact, that's why you see that whole played out with Pontius Pilate. All right. I mean, in essence, he's sort of his hands being played. He's being forced yeah. to kill Jesus. All right. right. Um, and you see how, and we'll see how that all gets played out when we get there. Um, but a lot of tension between all that going on with it. Um so anyway, so, yeah. So they said this to test him. So the the test was, oh, if, if you're really the Messiah, then you'll have to uphold the law, which will then get you yeah. killed by the Romans. Romans. Right. Yeah. Right. They're sneaky. <laughs> or, or you could interpret them. They went away with further evidence that he broke the law, mm-hmm. which gives them more justification to killing someone on the road. Really good, yeah. Yeah, because they're trying to trap him. Yeah. Yeah. So, how do you think, um, do you notice anything interesting, or uh, do you notice anyone missing in this story? The guy. <laughs> that was Who? with her. Exactly. Yeah. Who? Yeah. The, the guy, the, her partner. Oh, okay. So she was caught in adultery. Her husband, but her... And if you go back and read the Levitical law, it's talking about the male, man, and woman, both would be executed. Okay, according to the law, if you follow the law, okay. Um, but lo and behold, the man has <laughs> slipped out once again, <laughs> leaving the woman to um, be charged with this. So it's interesting here that you don't you don't have the you don't have the man. Probably because he was a Pharisee or Sadducee. <laughs> Maybe. He was that's, that's how they caught him. They went to go go, hey, come on, we got to go get Jesus. Hey, what are you... Oh. Yeah. Is there anything in the scripture about this female player? No. Not that I know that of. That she converted or... Don't know. Yeah, to, don't know. To the comment about catching him, right, as a further evidence, but they, they couldn't in that situation. Because he, he didn't say, don't stone her. Right? He didn't say, don't hold it, uphold the law. He said, go ahead. Which of you? But, yeah, you, you, guys, you go ahead, guys. You guys yeah. go ahead and do it, but you have to yeah, yeah. be without sin. Follow this order. Right. 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 So that he, was, he, that was his, his law. Jesus' law. Hmm? That was Jesus' interpretation. He, don't stone him if you hadn't yeah. sinned before mm-hmm. himself. But mm-hmm. they still had evidence that they go back and say, hey, he violated the law. Well, so that no matter what you said. Yeah. So what's interesting, this is very rare to this actually happen. It's even probably true today. Is, notice how it says it brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. So there were witnesses to this. And that was even very rare back in those days. 
that mostly people who are going to be in adultery are going to make sure they don't get caught because they know what the law is, all right? And so it's even, you even wonder whether they were set up or something. Who knows, okay? But in this situation, for the woman to be caught in adultery meant there had to be more than one witness, probably at least two or more witnesses who actually caught her doing this. So, um, so how were prostitutes regarded then? Not well, not well. <laughs> but they, they existed and they were there. And Yeah, but I don't think, I don't want to say here, you have a lot of prostitution in the Greek culture when we get to, you know, the New Testament times and stuff like that. I don't really think you had, I don't, I don't know Peter what you even, I don't think really? you had prostitution among Jews. What? At the, no. Not prostitutes. What, what, what happened with, uh, who is it old, uh, I'm trying old, to think about that. Was that Jacob? Who is it that, that had sex with his son's daughter? Or uh, wife? Yeah, but I'm talking about actually he, someone who's, son yeah, I'm actually saying someone who's a Jew who's practices prostitution. Yeah, she was a Jew. But was she a prostitute? Yes, she was. He, he she had was, sex with she her because was, she was posing as a prostitute. She was posing as one. Yeah. Oh. Okay, all right. And and you there, was, okay. there was like temp, temple prostitution for the but that false was, gods. But that would be in the Greek culture, right? How did the Romans yeah, regard that, it? That would that be, like be like the Greek Roman culture. It would not be the Jewish culture where you would see. The Jews just probably. went over to the Greek side where they wanted to get a little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there was process. What about the when Jesus was in the house of one of the teachers and the woman who was crying and putting her hair, wiping right. his hair with her feet? They were kind of yeah. saying yeah, she what did was she a prostitute, say? right? They were... I don't remember. Was that's well, what, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I actually he, don't he, know. He was about saying him. if if you, if if this man was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. Exactly. Right. That's how. It was. But I don't know if that's saying she's a she's a prostitute. Yeah, I don't she's know. Just either. like the woman at the well. Right. It's a good question. I just don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of it right at hand. There was I knew in the Greek culture, prostitution was rampant, um, and the cults and everything they were going on as they went to like Ephesus and those type of places. I'm just not aware of. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah's got to be kind of a fun place. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff, you just don't know. You don't know what's going on as far as that goes. So, all right, anything else that you guys, um, anything else in here that... Well, I, I, I think the thing is the story doesn't end, like, all the way. Like, in other words, hmm. I don't think that, like, like he did it kind of with the, the guy at the pool. He just tells him to sin no more. It doesn't doesn't do anything to save him. At least, I, mm. you know what I'm saying? I yeah, I do know what you're saying. And this is open-ended here, whereas like yep. when he's uh, with the thief of the cross, it's like it doesn't take a lot to enter the, the, the kingdom of heaven. You know, here's a guy, that a thief on the cross, that's like pretty much, you don't know his history, but he's done everything. And he's like, and he's not going to like, Jesus is not going to like make him feel better or comfort him after all the beatings they took and stuff. But he just says, like, believe in me and, you know, you're in, you're mm-hmm. in the kingdom of heaven, but mm-hmm. but it's it's interesting here that it's like it's kind of open ended. He just says sin no more, and he says a few more words. I at least I don't see a place where he's trying to make her forgive her sins and save her. Am I, yeah, we don't it? have any kind of real, which is true. Yeah. I mean, even I, would, well, I guess even the Samaritan woman. I mean, we know she goes yeah. into the town, she witnesses to people, but you don't 
you don't really know how all that stuff plays out. No. Um, Scripture's just not talking about that. What happened to her afterwards? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's important that <clears throat> in the very end, um, mm-hmm. and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Yeah. It's a wonderful act of forgiveness, and it's a gift. Right. And <laughs> it shows the, the power of, of that gift of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, forgiveness is a hard thing to do, as you experienced about two weeks ago, right? Yeah. Uh, it's Once you get it between your two ears and somebody's done something against you, to forgive them is a tough thing. Mm-hmm. So who's the one who, what is Jesus telling us about judgment here? Who's the one that can judge? Mm. Yeah. And why only Jesus? Because he is without sin. That's right. So that's one thing that's interesting here when we think about it. Who mm. is the only one that really can judge others is the, is the one who is without sin. And you see that in this case when he's, that's what he's doing, look, telling the other ones like, okay, if, if you, if you think you can judge this woman, then you need to be what? Without sin. But it says a lot about when we look at our lives and we look at others. But, um, that, but excuse me, yeah. but that, has, but that actually brings another question to me about if you are forgiven for your sins, because, you know, that's like, I mean, there's, they talk about, like, humans experience the worst pain in life because they're always feeling guilty. They pay the price more than once. And if, let's say that group of people had, their sins were forgiven and their conscience is still bothering them. You see what I'm saying? So, like, is it, if Jesus is saying that, what about the people if you've already been forgiven for your sins? Do you still have to go on through life and be judged? What's What do you think is the answer to that? No. Because Jesus died for our sins. That's right. And and what does Romans say about that then? There is no condemnation. Very good, yeah. Steve. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Christ Jesus. Jesus. Does that mean, I mean, one of the big hardest things I ever see for Christians is uh-huh. we have forgiven, we have forgiveness, we've been forgiven, mm-hmm. and yet we don't forgive ourselves and we can't forgive others. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you, know? you can forgive others. Or we can't even forgive ourselves. I can forgive others easily. I can accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, but, uh, yeah, I struggle with forgiving myself, for sure. That's the being in Christ, that's that continually giving it up to Christ. Yeah. Oh, it's I not mine. What's so phenomenal about this is that without the forgiveness of sin, there can be no relationship. Yeah, uh, very, yeah exactly. I, I mean, forgiveness of sin is the basis for continuing relationship. Mm-hmm. And without it, and don't happen. you see that on the human level too? Oh, yeah, I mean, if you certainly. have, if you hold unforgiveness against someone, that's why Jesus is so specific in Matthew and stuff. He says, 
If someone has something against you, you go to them. If you have something against someone, you go to them. <laughs> you know, either way, seek that forgiveness. In the Navy, getting even is my only form of forgiveness. I intend to forgive you at my earliest convenience. <laughs> that brings it home, doesn't it? Yeah. So who's who? Um, so Jesus says, stands up at the end. She says, "Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you?" Um, because they all have left. So who ends up being condemned? Who ends up being, who does Jesus condemn? Pharisees. Do you notice that? Yeah, what'd you say? The, the authority. Yeah. So what's interesting to me, look at Jesus. It's not like he doesn't condemn and judge. But look at who he consistently is the one that who he's always condemning and judging. It's always pretty much across the board. It's the ones who are condemning and judging. Yeah. It's what? The ones who are condemning and judging. Exactly. Well, I mean, he knows their motives. Like the, the preface, the preface to the whole thing is they did this in order to try to trap him. So it was just a political thing or yeah, just, Mm -hmm. just, to go against him. It wasn't about the law. It wasn't about, you know, it was about trying to mess him up, but then he exposes their hypocrisy also. Yeah. Because I think somebody said, like, yeah, I'll bet you some of those guys were adulterers. And, like, maybe something he wrote triggered that in them. Like, he knew in, like, what they had done. I don't know. To me, it's just, it's like, it's just, such elegant warfare. You know? He's just confronting evil mm-hmm. on all fronts. They're just sacrificing this woman to get him in trouble. Right? Yeah. yeah. To get him condemned and to, to ultimately murder him. They want to murder this innocent woman or whatever. Maybe not innocent, but and him. And he his his Warfare is grace and truth. Mm-hmm. So really an example of his absolute power and authority coming through. Yeah. The world just can't knock it down. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, sure, he was Jesus. Sure, he's God. <laughs> he did that. Aren't you you pick a fight, but <laughs> but but he wasn't doing that from that perspective. No, he's humble. That was the power. And he was doing that like you, you and I could do that. Mm-hmm. Right? That was the point. Yeah. But he was teaching at the temple, which is a position of authority. I'm not saying that we can do... No, we, I am I'm not supplanting no. us for Jesus, but I'm just no. saying that in terms of the approach to, to an enemy. Yeah. Right? It's also a reflection of the absolute power of sin in your life Mm -hmm. and how destructive it really is. (laughs) That is interesting that they were trying to, like, basically sacrifice that person. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That woman. They were Hmm. really ready to just sacrifice her. Yeah. And it was real dubious where where the man was, how, how... 
You have to have witnesses. I mean, was the man even there? He might have been there in the <laughs> crowd. Have, like someone said, he might have been one of these. Yeah, plus the two witnesses. Yeah, it's it, just, that whole part is is dubious. Right. With right. the male good old boy thing. Yeah, yeah. It just goes all. I mean, it goes all the way back to Genesis. Where was the man? Hmm. Is it possible that because I'm still trying to figure out? That's okay. You're with all the rest of us. The Old I struggle with. I mean, I read the daily. I read the the one day Bible every day, and I've been doing it for a couple of years. And then back to Exodus and Matthew. It's like Matthew's all for all love. Exodus is all crazy. Is it possible that um, that the the Jewish law was just so strict back there that um, what am I trying to say that? That are, it, like, what, what's happening, like, you know, some of the things that happen in, in prophecy, and even like today when I was reading in Exodus about, in chapter, in chapter 12, about like how God put the hit on all the first, you know, firstborn. Um, is it possible that these Jewish people took this so serious, like, they took it so serious that, they felt that it was their duty, like they were acting like God, and they think we can go ahead and be a God, be the God, and this person broke Moses' mm-hmm. law. And we'll, mm-hmm. Is that what? And, and maybe I'm, they're reading those stories. Maybe they're they've read those stories. You know, like when I read those stories, I get really confused. I'm like, whoa, this is God did that. I go, wow, what happened? And then I then I do the flip side, and I'm reading Matthew, and it's all about love. So I'm sitting there going, well, I'm really confused, but I know there's an answer and I just need to pray about it. And maybe they're just scholars and they're just studying and studying and studying and they see what God did in the, in the, in the, in the first, in the, in the, in the Old Testament. And maybe that's why there's kind of like. Well, and I would say the Pharisees, I mean, in a sense, you could say, well, they're not, probably most of them were not what we would consider bad. They have a bad rap when we read about them because they always seem to be the situation. But I think overall, you're probably right. I mean, their job was to uphold the law. I mean, they're in, I don't know if I want to say like policemen, but I mean, that's what their job was to religiously uphold the Mosaic law. And so they were trying, that's what they were trying to do. And I think many of them probably had very good intentions, especially Nicodemus, <laughs> um, had good intentions in trying to do that. Um but I think what Jesus is saying and what we're seeing here is there's a huge change going on in Christ because the whole the whole world is going to change because of what he's going to do on the cross. And that law, as Paul says, that law was there for a time for a certain group of people that God called to keep them holy. That was the intention, right? To keep them holy until Christ could come. So the law had a good purpose. Paul says the law was good. Jesus says the law was good. I came to fulfill it. But it was there for only a certain time. Right. And now we're hitting the time, the period, where now that salvation for the Jews is going to open up for the rest of the world. And as we saw, as we've gone through things like Galatians and stuff, we see the Jews just resisted that so yeah, much. Exactly. It's just like, What? We spent thousands of years following this law, and all of a sudden you're going to tell me it's all about faith? <laughs> is know? the Torah a holdover of that? Is what? Is the Torah a holdover of that law? 
Well, when you say Torah, I mean, the Torah is the law. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been to some bar mitzvahs. And, yeah. And so, it, I, I don't know what the Torah says, but it's it's the keystone for all of Judaism. Right. So, the Torah is the Old Testament. Yeah. The to- yeah, ultimately the Torah is the Old Testament. The Old I mean, Testament. Yeah. in the broadest sense, Torah just simply is the Old Testament. Now, some people will say it's specifically yeah. the first five yeah. books. The Old Testament Torah. Yeah. You know? the, a lot of times people say it's the first five books that are the Torah. Uh-huh. But ultimately, it's used in a way that the entire Old Testament is the Torah. Okay. So there's no chapter two then that they look at. No, it's like no, that's the it. Old Testament. That's right? the beginning, it's the middle, that, and the end. And then they have a bunch of rabbinical interpretations. Right. Of that, yeah. Right. Okay. Like yeah. in, even in the New Testament, it's like, oh, Rabbi so and so says this, and you know, like Rabbi Hallel or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then Jesus, that's why they were so surprised when he came because he he spoke as one who had authority. He right. wasn't quoting any rabbis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was like, let me tell you what, what this means. Mm. So the Jews have some rabbinical writings that they look at. Yeah. So that's why mm. when you're reading, um, you know, we were going, <laughs> Chase and I were talking <laughs> about a little bit, but when, when I, I, we had a group called Bible Recap, okay, that read through the entire Bible last year, all as a group of like 12 to 15 people. And I have to tell you, when we were reading through the Old Testament, it was so hard on so many people. Because you're reading stuff and you're going, oh my gosh, (laughs) what is this stuff saying? What is happening here? We had a lot of people just like going, you know, what is God doing? God sanctioning this? What is happening here? I mean, it just is like, it's, it's... It's scary, it's freaky, it's weird. It's like, I mean, we had a lot of people really struggle as we were going through that Old Testament. And it took a while to, if you really read through, it's like, it took a little while before you start seeing, okay, now I start seeing a pattern or you start trying to understand God's doing something big here. Because when you get into the mess of what's happening, it's, it's ugly. It's, um, really ugly. So, I mean, we have that as a record of this is what humanity was like without, in sin, <laughs> without a law, um, and stuff. So, yeah, it's just, um, it is, you just express it That's again, too. Tough. It was tough for me when I was younger, my kids were small, to put the Prince of Egypt on, because we loved that movie, but mm-hmm. it gets ugly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we, and the stuff that we have that we have with movies <laughs> really waters so much of it down. Um, yeah, but it's a reality of what humanity is without Christ. Um, I mean, I love one of my favorite passages that I just, in fact, someone quoted. Oh, I think um, someone sent out this today that I got that I get the scripture every day from someone from Nan, and um, it says in Hebrews. Um, which is one I just, I sort of try to keep in mind is, and this just like speaks to the change that happens. Um, so Hebrews 1, 1 just sort of nails it. It says long time, long ago, 
So when you read the Old Testament, you can think of this in the context. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's the Old Testament. Moses was a prophet. Okay? So Moses wrote a lot of the stuff at the very beginning. So long ago, many times, God spoke to them. But in these last days, which is we are in now, he speaks to us through his son, through Jesus. So there's a shift, huge shift that happens once you hit the New Testament. Jesus is incarnated. So can God's you say that, that plan prophets shifts. wrote the Old Testament? Yes. Well, in fact, that's exactly what it says. And it says that in other places, too. It says in Timothy, it says in Peter, I guess. All I mean, it's the prophets. Moses is a prophet. Okay. So were they Jewish prophets? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's where their authority comes from. Right. And what do you see in the Old Testament? God is the one speaking directly to Moses about what to write. He's speaking directly to the prophets. To he to the, the prophets. Yeah, to, to the keep prophets, them in so. line. I mean, yeah. that was his first shot. Well, huh. right, right. So, well, yeah, he tells them to go back and forth to the Pharaoh. I mean, how many times does he go back to, 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 you know, to let him, let them know that this is the way it's going to be and, you know, it's interesting um, how God is gets really tough on that whole situation. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Um, when you read what is stated like about sex, you realize quickly that, gosh, if, if we didn't have Christ, if we didn't have the pilgrims come over here and do what they did to try to establish a society based on biblical grace and truth, We'd be, oh wait, where we are now. <laughs> I was going to say, are you trying to make an argument there, Jason? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, <laughs> who's going to get there? But if, if not, we wouldn't even have the concept. The things that are laid out in the, in the, when I first read that, I was like, oh, don't have sex with the farm animals. Don't have sex with your mom or your dad or your dad's other wives or your brother or your sister or the, yeah. Stay away from those darn animals again. You know, it's just you're going, what? I mean, you think about it. If there's no law, there's no law. Rock and roll, you're doing everything. We're just like, think about all the things well, that the human you, mind can come up right, with. Right, I think you get, back, you get back to the point again that we talk about yeah. it here all the time. You can have a law, and what what does the law do? All it really ultimately did was show us how we were all in sin. That's right. And showed us how much we need Jesus, and we need his grace, and we need his forgiveness, and we need his mercy, because we cannot follow that law, period. So we try to come over and put a new law, and it's like, and we expect people to follow it? It's not going to (laughs) happen. Moses said, hey, I'm going to give you this thing. You can do it, because the Spirit's in your mouth and in your heart. It's not that hard. You can do it. But you got to love God. Above all Have a good ride, Chase. Bye-bye. And, and by the way, it's not just a blessing, it's also a curse. That's what tees up Jesus. Because it's easy, but you won't be able to do it. It's fantastic. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with the Old Testament stuff. No, I just read most, most of it, you know, in the past three months, I think, and, 
I guess because I've thought a lot about it, but I mean, even some of the stuff where it's like wipe everyone out, mm-hmm. and they didn't listen, and they let that one person go, and then 30 years later, they come back and slaughter Israel, right? And it's like, because you didn't listen to God, and you didn't get rid of these people, now they came back and slaughtered 100,000 people. So which was better, right? He's like, how could God say to wipe those people out? Yeah. It was like, because he knew if they didn't, they would come back and wipe out 100,000 people. So which is better? It's yeah. always the consequence plus, of drifting away from God. Plus they yeah, plus they're gonna, they're they're gonna woo you into uh, serving their gods, right? And that's of course. Well, and I think, I mean, uh, to me, I think so. I'm sort of with you, Pete, and I it, I had sort of a wake up call. I think it's just because I've been in the old, I've been, you know, the Old Testament a lot, to where I think what helps me always is to know there's a trajectory as to what's going to happen with it. But it's interesting. It's all these. People who start out these Bible reading programs and they start in Genesis and they start trying to read it through the Old Testament. When you try to do that on your own, but you don't have a group in which to discuss, you're just hitting a lot of stuff. You're just going, what the frick is this? And there's, you just don't, it, it's, people, I mean, we had in our group faithful Christians going who've not read through the Old Testament really before, just <laughs> thinking like, who is this God? Yeah, exactly. They can do this stuff. For a few years and it takes a while before you start seeing the character of God sort of consistently start coming out. Um, it's it, just, it's interesting when you throw it. Yeah, but didn't, do they, have they also not read the book of Revelation? Yeah, there's a lot of... Right, cause that's like the wrath and the wine press of God where, where the blood of the wine press oh. of people's <laughs> blood is up to the horse's bridle for I forgot how long, but yeah, it's a lot of blood. Well, and at that point, it's clear, and it's clear that it's Jesus. Yeah, that's that guy. Yeah, Mister Mister Love and Happiness is also that dude. (laughs) The sword of his mouth. So you you just think, let's get rid of Revelation. Let's get rid of some of the Old Testament. (laughs) When you don't read the Old Testament, all that stuff that we're talking about, right, is. Why does that have an effect on us? Because we're perceiving things from the flesh. Mm-hmm. To me, it just c- cuts through that so clearly. I want you to communicate with me in the spirit. Okay? Spirit and truth. I continue to use these examples of destroying flesh over and over and over again to, to reinforce this concept of an eternal reality. You live in my kingdom, and that is the kingdom of the spirit. I could kill you a thousand times, and guess what? So what? Yeah. All right? It only matters to you because you're in the flesh. I only matter to you because I'm feeding you bread and fish. Yeah. Right? Right? That right. was the, that was, I think, the clear So point. did Jesus come back and, and did Jesus come on walk on this earth and didn't say, I'm going to save 5,000 people or I'm going to create miracles to go against that, what you're saying? I'm a little confused. He's, uh, one sense, I think you're saying in, in the Old Testament, a sacrifice of somebody, uh, is, is okay because it's, it's, we're well, in the it never world. was not okay in the Old Testament. But, but in the, but in the New Testament, Jesus comes across and he, He's there to help everybody. Yeah. No. Well, uh-uh. but I think, so here's what's interesting is, we think that with Jesus, oh, he's this really nice guy. Mm-hmm. When you really read the New Testament, mm-hmm. you find out Jesus is as hard, <laughs> maybe in some ways harder, 
in the judgment of people than what you even see in the Old Testament. In just the fact of how much Jesus talks about hell. Yeah. Exactly. Jesus talks about oh, hell more than anyone. Yeah. It's really right. hell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And hell yeah, is yeah, really yeah, right. like the yeah. worst. Yeah. He's talking about right. like killing somebody and whatever, but we're talking about hell. Yeah. It's like a, a eternal conscious torment, and the way that he describes it is like, well, he's qualified to talk about it, number one. That's, you know, and but that's harsh. He's, that's, that's it, it goes from Hades, thing. it goes from, you know, Sheol to eternal damnation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jesus is teeing us up for the, 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 the big picture here. And that you guys got to get serious because this isn't limbo land anymore. This is hard core, you're in, you're out, right? And I'm waging war on evil, and I've won. So you want to be on my team, and you want to be in truth and spirit, because that's who God's looking for. I think that's the harshest thing in the entire Bible, like with Old Testament, whatever. The par- the end of the parables, when Jesus talks about like eternal conscious torment, yeah, and you know, the book of Revelation, where it's like, some people, the great divide. Some people are going here, some people are going here. Forever. Mm-hmm. That is, that is, that's hard. The harshest thing. Yeah. 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 Hard. Well, I mean, he, it's that narrow road. He's drawing yeah. a line. He's saying, here's the narrow way. Hey. Are you here, or are you here? <laughs> Which side are you on? Quick question. So, in yeah. Hebrews, where you just read uh, uh-huh. verse 2, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. Right. A little bit different, is it different contextual? These last days, whoever the author of Hebrews is, um, these, these recent days. These last days are today. Yes. Because yes. Jesus says we're in the last right. days. Exactly. So, yeah. bing bing, is it, would we lay, overlay that phraseology with what Jesus was saying, we're in the last days? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's sure. how I would. But, yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, absolutely. All right. I mean, there's a split that happens in history and, with Jesus, that split, we are now in the last days, which, you know, you were saying about, oh, well, our country, and we have these laws and stuff. What did Galatians say? You guys remember? How did Galatians open? We are living in the present evil age. Evil age. Yeah. That's <laughs> Okay? Yeah. I mean, that's just a fact. And no government and no anything we're going to do is going to stop the fact that we live in the present evil age. And we have to learn as people of God, how do we live in this world and not of this world? <laughs> we talked about that a lot in here. Okay. Um, Can we pause for a real quick second too? Yeah. Like what you're saying about the pilgrims coming and stuff, right? And, and giving the example. Okay. So where you had us memorizing Isaiah, 52, Isaiah 52, but it says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Okay. Yes. Uh, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. Very good. And, okay. So, uh, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Yeah. And so I had just had contextual on that. I'm like, what is that sprinkle? <laughs> and, and so contextually it is, uh, the, the Hebrews would say cleanse from sin, sprinkle. That some teacher on the radio was talking about that uh-huh, uh-huh. and use that terminology when the sprinkling is this cleansing the, the nations from sin. Right. And, and so, like the pilgrims in this new nation, uh, they were, you know, living in, adoring God. 
And so this nation was sprinkled. It was cleansed to be a, a, a people who would follow the authority of the scriptures. The, the framers knew that. Mm-hmm. Whatever. They, they were totally on that. And so, um, so where the cleansing was and acknowledging sin and living, you know, we lived through our wars in World War II. We're sinners, but we gotta fight evil. And so the evil's still there, but we're kind of trying to interact with graces from the maker of all things. We, the secular culture would acknowledge the maker of all things. They weren't locked into going to church or reading the Bible, but they would, don't, don't, you know, have sex and don't be with your girlfriend without getting married. That was depicted in all the World War II movies. You know, I, it, movies are fake. They're entertainment. But um, the sprinkling, this, even the movie about Lincoln, it's a depiction. It's This is what's true. And so uh, what uh, the sprinkling, this cleansing thing, um, the cleansing the nations, just kind of, I guess I kind of think about that in terms of, uh, there, there was a cleansing. Now, well, we were seeking, we, we were right. living to be under the blood. So for us that are under the blood, and John 1, 1 says, if we don't receive Christ, we're condemned already. Um, we need Christ. We need his blood. And, um, so my brain is just kind of going around and around around. Well, if you guys remember, then we'll, cl- and then we'll, cl- we'll close too. This is sort of where, yeah, just, so, Remember in Isaiah 2, what, what, what's the prophecy? Ultimately, all the nations are going to come back to Jesus. And in Revelation 5, it talks about that. that. So you end up having this point in which ultimately all the nations are going to come to Jerusalem, to Zion. Yes. They come to the Lord, however that occurs. And then obviously you have the ones who don't believe what's going to happen. Right. Um, but you always have this idea that ultimately God's going to call them all to Himself, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue right. will make allegiance. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, you guys. It's sort of interesting discussion tonight. <laughs> sort of going to different places I mean, and really, stuff. I really that. Um, so I next week, next week, if you wanted to read ahead, we get into some good stuff again. So what's interesting is John, this story. One thing that people brought up about this story of women and adultery is that, um, super quick, is that it sits between two things that Jesus has done. So if you look, if you remember last week, we read in, in chapter 7 that we read about um, the living water. Okay, so the very last thing Jesus says in chapter 7 is if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow living waters. That's the last word Jesus says in chapter 7. What's interesting is you then have the woman in adultery story, and you see what Jesus does, and then next week, we are going to deal with, I am the light of this world. So the next time Jesus picks up talking, after the woman in adultery, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you see this woman in adultery story is sandwiched between I am the living water and I am the light of the world. Right. Um, well, it's just sort of interesting that it's it's there. So next week we're going to look at this neat passage about where Jesus talks about being the light of the world in darkness and stuff. Yeah, Bruce. In verse 11, she accepts the Lord before he says 
that she, he won't condemn her. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh huh. And what are you look? What are you looking at, John? Eight? Verse. Yeah, verse eleven. She said, "No, no one, Lord." And Jesus said, "Neither do I condemn you. Go and f- from now on, sin no more." But she accepts him as Lord before he oh, okay. says that he won't condemn her. Hmm. Yeah, good, good. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Good job, Bruce. Yeah. Very smooth. That's a good way to end it. All right. Okay, well, everyone, we got a lot of things to pray for, people, especially for Joe. Mm. Yeah. Get a good report next week, and we just pray for you and her to have wisdom and following all this. And I just pray right now for Joe, specifically, that as they are looking and seeking you with us, Lord, that you will, as we read in, in Psalm 41, you will watch over Joe. You will protect her. I pray that you will make sure that everything within her brain... Um, functions perfectly, Lord. So just just watch over all those who are sick, Lord, Dale and Marilyn and all the other ones we talked about. I just pray for their healing, Lord. And just protect us as, as we leave from here and we go from being and studying who you are, worshiping you, that we walk out into this world, still in this world, but not of this world. We totally need you, Lord, to do that. We need your grace, and we need your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, you guys.